Hello and welcome to another episode of Courageous Influence Talk Show where we have courageous conversations that help build people of courageous influence. And I'm joined by my mate and pastor, Caleb Dwyer. Hello, Alex. How are you, mate? I'm good, how are you? Pretty good. Have you had a good week? Yes, living the dream. You living the dream? What does living the dream look like for Caleb? Uh, This week, it's been preparing sermons, Mm -hmm. uh, a bit of administration work. Nice. And connecting with a lot of people. Awesome. That sounds like the dream. And then doing a little bit of mathematical schoolwork with my children as well. Oh yeah, just chuck it in on the side. Just get to me, yeah. Do you enjoy doing maths? Oh, I do. I'm a nerd. But, I mean, it's pretty simple stuff working with primary kids at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Simple stuff. (laughs) I'm sure I've got it covered. (laughs) Um, How have you found the lead into Easter this year? It's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I have to say thanks to my beautiful wife. We have still had lots of hot cross buns. Nice. Yes, we are a family. My my youngest daughter is bizarre. She refuses to eat um, sultanas. Yeah. But she loves hot cross buns <laughs> with sultanas. Yeah. She doesn't like the ones without. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. It's like it's a way of like slowly getting her used to sultanas. You can sort of wean her off the bread part. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> deconstructed hot cross yeah. bun. <laughs> yeah. uh, you could uh, try that. Hey, we're having deconstructed hot cross bun tonight. <laughs> She's like, oh, I don't want that one, Dad. I want the other one. I want what? The one with the sultanas in it. She's like, the one with the stuff in it. And then they goes to me, yes, that one, Caleb. Yes, and I'm like, that one. You like Sultana cheese? No, I don't, but I want that one. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's roll with it. And she loves them. Like, she's eating them like they're going out of fashion, which they will in a couple yeah, yeah. of weeks for yeah. a while. Um, we, yesterday at work, had ones from Legal. So they're like brioche yeah, okay. hot cross buns. Right. They're just delicious. <laughs> very tasty. Melt in your mouth type. Yeah, nice. Moment. Uh, yeah, so, but in terms of church, it's, yeah, a sort of, of the classic unprecedented time mm. uh, for churches going into Easter, not doing an in-person service. Yep. Um, how have you sort of found that aspect of it all? Uh, well, to be honest, the last number of years, when it comes to that creative side of putting on all the extra bits and pieces for a real highlight net calendar like Easter, I tend not to have a lot to do with that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so my preparation probably hasn't changed. I've been working on a sermon. Yeah. Um, it was shorter. We, we're doing a really fun thing this week where I think there's about five or six of us lead pastors all putting it apart together. So doing yep. about five minutes each and then it's going to get brought through. Yeah. Um, and so I only had five minutes, but um, I got landed Jesus in the tomb, which is probably even with insight, well, inside Christian circles, uh, the most debatable part of Easter, like what really went on while Jesus was in the yeah, tomb. Yeah, So I was like, oh, thanks guys, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I spent a lot of time just yeah, really digging in around that and then having to be filmed, Yeah. Um, which I've done a fair bit of now and you, you're certainly more comfortable than I used to be, Yeah. but it's still um, just a process, isn't it? It takes a lot longer than probably people realise it's not the five minutes that you end up with it. Yeah. Setting up, trying to reword things, trying to memorise it a little bit, get a good flow, look natural. Um, but So that was all part of the fun. Yeah. And then I will say on this podcast, uh, I managed to smash it out. We, we do quite a bit of um, recording of little clips for the Horizon Project, um, which for those who don't know is the missions arm of our church that my wife and I help head up. And 
um, Renners and I always stir each other about one take wonders. Like we just want to get there, smash it out, walk out, no editing, just boom, done that's, first that's time. The yeah, that's mm. the dream. And uh, I just stir and show off about being a one take wonder, and did it five five and a half minutes of footage for this little clip straight through. And the only time I f really fumble, and you can see I'm, I'm searching for a word, um, I had just some cue cards and Nicole Tipper was holding them and she dropped them. <laughs> and, and I was looking for the word doctor and I ended up going for the word theology, yeah. which is close enough. Uh, so we didn't pull back. But then, so after that, she's in the background sort of shaking a little bit while she's trying not to make any noise. And then as soon as the camera was stopped, she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And she, she's like, no one's even gonna know that was my fault. I said, I will make sure people know it was your fault, Nicole. Yeah, we're broadcasting it to the world now. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nicole Tipper was the name and she- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, she does do an amazing job. She rarely drops the cue cards. But Nicole really uh, drops the ball life. anything. Yeah. She's amazing. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. All right. Well, I'm going to be listening extra closely to yours then to see if I can hear any giggling in the background. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that'll, yeah, that'll be awesome. So that's going to be on our Sunday morning. Uh, yeah. So live Sunday stream. morning live stream. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, looking forward to it. And we're going to have Pastor Ben and Libby doing a bit of a, a live stream on Friday evening. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah. Um, I've told Ben I want a tour of his house. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Get the walkthrough. Jeff. Yeah, we we'll want the walkthrough. Well, the the Sunday service on Facebook last week got about two thousand. Yeah. Wow. Um, reach. So he could be showing a lot of people through his home. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's awkward. It's like, don't take us to every drawer. Right? Yeah, yeah. I saw a, um, a meme this morning. It said, there was a picture of Forrest Gump sitting on the park bench talking, and he says, and just like that, my pastor was a TV evangelist. That's <laughs> 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 pretty good, actually. Pastor Ben, the TV evangelist. <laughs> Um, very cool. So, um, we were talking about COVID fails. Mm. Have you have, have you, you had, had any? Have you had a COVID fail? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a couple. I actually had a probably the most confronting moment. Um, you know that great bit of sage wisdom I gave last week about sometimes we take responsibility not because we're the cause, but because we're best positioned to make the change. And then doing some school work with my daughters. And our middle daughter, um, she has a processing disorder and she's doing an amazing job and we've really concentrated for the last eight months or so on her reading and comprehension. And we just had the best parent win um, a little while ago, went down to Ballarat for my mum's 60th pre-COVID when you're still allowed to travel. Yeah. And uh, we're driving home and Mia decides to read to Renee and I and she starts reading and she's doing a great job. Like, we're really impressed with her reading and then she stopped and said, I want to rest now, that's fine, baby. Driving along, and I hear her laughing. And I looked in the review mirror, and she's reading and cackling away. And I said, oh, what are you laughing at, Mia? And it was just brilliant. She stopped and put it down and says, oh, this is a funny book. And she began to tell us the narrative, which for her to be able to not just read that well, um, but to be able to really comprehend exactly what she was reading, get the jokes, get the nuance, and then share it back with us was just like six months worth of really intense work. It was just... Yeah awesome yeah so that felt like a real win and we're really proud of that but I've noticed in this last couple of weeks working with her that her maths isn't where it needs to be and um, 
I straight away had it, started having that moment where you you're like, oh, why haven't the teachers picked up on this, or why isn't a speech pathologist? And and then I'm like, what am I doing? Like she goes to a great school where the teachers care about her. The reality is we've all been concentrating on her literacy the last little while. Yeah. And actually, I'm a math teacher, <laughs> and her dad. Like if there's anyone that cares more about her development and education than me, there shouldn't be. Yeah. Other than maybe a mum. And if there's anyone who can do math better immediately in her world, probably not. Um, so uh, what a waste of energy to start getting frustrated about whose fault it is. It's no one's fault. Yeah. She's done amazing work and really just went, oh, wow. I was sharing that only the other day and here I am needing to learn it. Nobody's better positioned to help this girl than me right now. Yeah. So um, we've just been having some fun. I've been really proud of her. You know, she's really trying and... Um, it's a great, like, I don't want my kids to have that experience that often you do when your parents doing the homework with you where you just hate it, you end up in tears. And yeah. There's been one tear moment for one of them because she was looking around the kitchen and yawning and I was like, come on, this isn't good enough. But um, uh, they've actually, it was really cool. We do this thing at the end of the day where we sit around and say best part of our day, most challenging part yeah. of our day. And um, little Mimu says, best part of my day has been learning maths with Dad. I'm getting so good. And I was like, yeah, come on. I know where this is going. No, that was it. Uh, she actually I, meant it. I thought you were going to then say, and then Lizzy said the worst part of <laughs> yeah, my yeah. day was doing maths with Dad. No. She probably thought it. <laughs> she didn't articulate it. <laughs> anyway, so that was a, it was a yeah. bit of a fail, but I reckon we've rescued it and turned it into a win. And, and it was just one of those things, you know, um, none of us are perfect. And, and we give these great, isn't that it's so true i think on a, in a conversation like this or in just in our faith life in general it's so easy to love those principles when you're sitting in church or you're having a chat with your mate but the rubber hits the road when you're out there with your family you know with people in your community yeah and uh, if we actually want our lives to reflect what we believe they're the moments we need to take those little nuggets and actually put them into practice yeah. and, and be willing to self-reflect for a moment and go, hang on a second, it might make me feel better to distance myself from this and blame the education system and blame her pathologist or whatever. Um, not helpful and not their fault. Yeah. But I'm incredibly well positioned to help her out with this. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it really is true. Like in terms of like living, living at your faith really does come down to the really minuscule mundane moments doesn't yes. it because it, yeah it's easy to talk about big principles and ideas but they only actually make an impact on the micro level right um, yeah it's interesting what about you um so my fail is probably as i step back and look because i can't think of a major one other than the fact that well I actually haven't had my life that disrupted, <laughs> which probably means I've been living in isolation my whole life. Um, yeah, like I'm still, I'm still going to work. Um, and that's probably the big thing. You're, you're in an industry where you still need to be at work. Yeah. So, so you've still got that rhythm. And then even like, I guess, other than maybe the fact that we ordered in our date night dinner the other week rather nice. than going out. But we would often do that anyway, because that's what we would rather do. Yeah. So And things like that. So probably doing a few less social things, but we had already scaled back on that this year anyway. Mm. So because we had sort of scaled back on a bunch of stuff at the very start of the year, right? all these changes have come in, and really we haven't really noticed much different for us. Yep. Because we go to work, we literally come home and go straight into the kitchen and start cooking dinner yep. anyway. Um, so... 
my fail is probably that I've already been living in isolation. But so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we miss your face on a Sunday. That's that's been eight years. Yeah. Yeah. So totally not the point of that conversation, but can I just come back just for a point of interest? Um, your date nights, you just as happy to order in. Is that because you both have introvert tendencies? Uh, yeah, I'd say so, I think. And we're just like chilling out on the couch. Yeah. So yeah, I'd say it's because we both are quite introverted. Because um, I'm we, definitely with you. Yeah. And especially now with kids, even though it feels, for, especially for renters, I think it just feels too the same. Yeah. yeah. But, but that's, if we're ever going to hang out, it's when the kids are in bed and we just get to hang. And so if we've got a date night, we have to go out. But I often like, oh, we've got a date night. I would want nothing more than just to order takeout, yeah, just hang yeah. out with renters. Yeah. Like, not have to be in public and worry about what I'm wearing. Or just yeah, yeah. And, and, there, and then that way, you sort of, then you really do appreciate when you go out and you go to somewhere nice and it's a bit more chilled out. But yeah, definitely nothing worse than like you go out just so that you can't hear each other over all the noise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, what? And I've lost so much hearing from my days of punk. It's one of those things where. <laughs> Dad turned out to well, be right after the all. Path. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We'd go to punk gigs and our ears would ring for like 48 hours mm. after. <laughs> and Dad would be like, it's ridiculous, you don't need it that loud, you're going to regret it one day, or whatever. And now I'm like, in a, in, a, in a crowd like that, when there's background noise, yeah. if you've got a high-pitched voice, I've got no idea what you're saying to me. Yeah. You're just flapping your gums. I'm <laughs> shocking. If there's background noise, I always naturally tune to the background noise. Right. I just can't, not, I'll have someone sitting in front of me and I'm trying all my willpower. It happens to me at church as well. <laughs> That's why I always chat to people outside. Because if it doesn't matter how good a conversation it is that I'm in, my mind just wants to pick up the conversation right across the room. And it's like, you can hear that really clearly and you can't hear the one right in front of you. It's <laughs> gold. Like, uh, so, I don't know. I think it's um, a defence mechanism for if they're plotting like a prank against you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're good at scoping the room. You, you make yeah, a good yeah. FBI agent. Mm. But the worst thing is then when you've got to tune back in. Yeah. And you realise, hang on, they're still talking. <laughs> Do I just go with it? Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's caught me out with, <laughs> with Melissa plenty of times. She's like, you just agreed with what I was saying. Because I'll like say something, she's like, I just said that and you were talking back to me about <laughs> and it. Agreeing. And I'm just like, I have no recollection. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So that's a life fail. Yeah. Um, so, and have you got a courageous leadership tip for us this week? A courageous leadership tip this week. Um, oh, yeah, well, the thing I wanted to maybe mention this week was just that idea of to live with integrity. We actually have to reflect on those big principles or those cliches or uh, great sayings that we like but we've got to reflect on them in terms of me first like where am i at yeah i think that's sometimes the most courageous thing to do mm. in any situation it's so easy to shift blame like well, it's just what we're just wired for aren't we you know like i look at my little girls and no one's had to teach them how to shift blame to blame to their siblings yeah um but i think one of the most courageous things we can ever learn to do is is filter everything through, right, what's my responsibility here? And not always to do when you're feeling super emotional. Um, but that's why we, we sometimes just need to, it's that old thing of, you know, even you might be replying to an email or something. 
and in a situation where you're frustrated, we'll type it out, but don't send it. The 24-hour rule. Yeah, yeah. You know, just give yourself some time so that your frontal lobe can actually re-engage yeah. <laughs> because it's not working. Yeah. And it's physiological. You know, you, you, it's part of your, when you, you get that sense of anger, your body's being designed so that you can just flight and fight, that you're not going to think through the decisions too much. Uh, someone like myself, who by nature is a high thinker, um, Pastor Ben often says that if we're not careful, we get paralysis by analysis. Yeah. And so when things are heightened emotionally, your body's designed to stop that being an issue. Like if you go to run away from a bear, you don't want to get paralysis by analysis while you're trying to decide which one of these two routes is the best one to go down. You just want to run. Yeah. Right? So that part of your brain gets shut off. So there's a reason why we do dumb things when we're frustrated, mad. And so I just think it, um, real courage is not, you know, because we sometimes misunderstand courage in those moments. It's courage is just speaking your mind and, and yeah. oh, I'm not afraid of the consequences. Well, actually, you're just being immature. Yeah. Real courage is to slow down and reflect on it calmly. Where's, where's my part of the responsibility here? How can I actually help create change here? Um, where can I take responsibility for my own thoughts in this? And, you know, yeah. As I said, I don't always get that right, but I really got pulled up on it just this week and went, wow, I need to practice what I'm preaching here. Mm. Um, and we, we all get that wrong at times, but I think if we try and make that a discipline in our life, something that we're intentional about, I want to be someone who lives with integrity. You know, I yeah. say to one of the things I've actually written down in my personal life statement is that I would be respected the most by the people that know me the best. Mm. Um, there's no point me being able to get up on a Sunday and give a great sermon and some awesome insight if my wife and kids are sitting there going, yeah, Dad, but we see the way you behave when you're frustrated and get home from work. Like, what's the point of that? All I'm doing is creating a division between God and my kids. Yeah. So I want to be able to live with integrity. Now, does that mean I don't, I get it right all the time? Of course not. But part of it is just having the courage to apologise when you don't, but just then yeah. slow down and reflect. Where, what's, where's my responsibility for this? that thing I've been encouraging people on. Am I living it out right now? And I think that's real courageous. Yeah, yeah. Cour courage isn't always loud and bold. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, for me, I was, I was thinking through this this week, and for me, it was my tip is humility may cost you in the short term, but it will always win for you in the long term. Wow. Uh, and the reason I was thinking through that was just because this would work at the moment. We've had a bit more time to just be reflecting on stuff in the way that we're doing our program and what resource and stuff we could find. And, and they're sort of building some of that back end stuff yes. just to, so that when things are busy again, we can be re really effective. Um, but it also gave me a chance just to realize, oh, okay, find some areas that I could develop in and work in. Uh, and for me, it was identifying that I could grow in my sort of training and facilitating um, skills and knowledge and stuff. And so, and so I sort of brought that up with a few of my, like my program lead um, and things like that. Um, but I really had to make the decision, actually, I'm going to, you know, open up about what I feel like I might be weak in. Right. Uh, and because you very much have that temptation to the sort of lockdown go no, no no like I'm not going to let in anyone in on my weaknesses yes. or what I think I might grow in because of the way they may perceive it mm. and not that you think that someone's gonna um, you know think oh what an absolute idiot but they might this sort of I think and this is probably why men often don't ask for help because you sort of you don't want to be viewed as 
um, like something about the idea of needing help mm. makes you feel like a mm. little bit intimidated. Right, weak or inferior. Yeah, and so, and I like, and you don't want to get that, <clears throat> oh, you know, we can help you with that type thing. And you're just like, no, like I'm, I'm not completely out of whack. I'm right. just, this is a thing I do. And so was, that sort of thing will often pop up in me, but I was like, no, I'm going to ask for it because, and find out some ways that I can grow in it because in the short term, you might, uh, people might perceive that, oh, okay, yeah, he's not good at this, but in the long run, you're going to actually develop that now. Yes. Um, and it's humility that allows you to then, in the long term, you're going to keep getting better. But if your ego and stuff rules the day in the smaller moments, uh, then down the track, you haven't developed in that. Mm. And you've actually now lost something that you could have gotten just by having a little bit of humility, opening yourself up to people maybe perceiving you as less altogether as you want them to. Yes. Um, in the short term, but in the long term, they're going to see you grow. Right. So, yeah, that was what I was sort of thinking through. It's a great thought. And I think it's really cool to be up front in a conversation about something like humility that in the immediate, there can be a cost. Because we like to put the virtues up the, almost as though if you practice these virtues, your life's just going to rock. Yeah. But it's just not the case. There yeah. often is a cost. And I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, there is a short-term cost, but long-term, you, you, you can't help but win. That's a really... Yeah. Yeah, great thought. Mm. Um, so <coughs> now, have you been having a read of the Gospel of Mark? Oh, I have indeed. Yeah, it's been good. Oh, I've been, been enjoying having, it. Having a ball. I think for me it helps having a bit of context. I think um, my Bible reading had probably been quite sporadic. Mm -hmm. And so having this, I think, I know it hasn't always worked for me in the past doing, you know, locked in devotional readings and stuff like that. Yes. You can sometimes feel a bit restrained, but also I think in this season, it's really helping me and pulling me along yeah. and giving me a context to go, you know what it's all building towards mm -hmm. uh, can sometimes give me some help. So what have uh, some of the things that have stood out to you this week? Yeah, well, I knew obviously this was going to be part of our podcast, so I brought my little notepad along. Nice. And uh, I want to encourage anyone who's listening and maybe hasn't started it. It is a great thing to be a part of, and I've had some great conversations with other people that are doing it. So that sense of um, you know, personal growth through... Um, shared devotion and mm. so if you're out there and you haven't started doing it it's not too late just jump in with today's date it doesn't matter that you may not have read the rest or we haven't got that far in so just have a quick read catch up and then yeah. uh, get involved but just want to pull out the sort of thing that I'm I'm wrestling with as I go through and and really enjoy one of the things that jumped out at me this week was in Mark 1 29 to 45 readings Mark 1 29 to 45 and it, it's around where Jesus heals a leper and um, it's really interesting like the law according to Leviticus 13 required of that leper that they wear torn clothes mm. that they keep their hair unkept and and long they weren't allowed to cut it um, that they covered their face and that as they walk along they'd call out unclean unclean mm. like a pretty horrific existence and um you know, we just talked about the fact that even just being humble and admitting a weakness is difficult. Well, imagine putting that out there where you got to, you have to actually demonstrate to everybody. Now there was there was reasons around it. It stopped the spread of disease. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But social distancing. Incredible. Yeah, social distancing in its infancy, uh, incredibly difficult. Um, 
So here's a couple of thoughts though that really jumped <coughs> out to me. In the way he converses with Jesus, he doesn't doubt that Jesus can heal him, only if he will. Mm. And uh, I was reflecting on that in my own life and I thought, how often do I know God's power, but I question his mercy? Mm. I have no doubt that God is powerful. Like for me, he is the creator of the universe. But, but where maybe sometimes my doubt can, can sneak in is around, will he be merciful? And yet mm. it's just as much a part of his character and nature. Mm. So I thought that was really interesting. And will he show it towards me? Right, yeah. 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 So yeah, yeah. Oh, I have no else. doubt he'll do it for everyone else, <laughs> but clearly I'm an exception to the rule. Right. Yeah. Um, but Jesus actually reaches out and touches the leper. Mm. Which in itself is phenomenal because, again, according to Mosaic law, uh, Jesus would incur defilement in that moment. Um, but I read something, I did a bit of digging around in this one because it, it was just really grabbing my attention. And uh, Calvin wrote this. He said, by his words alone, he could have healed the leper. But he applied at the same time the touch of his hand to express the feeling of compassion. And then he goes on nor ought this to excite our wonder, since he chose to take upon him our flesh that he might cleanse us from sin. Mm. Oh, what an incredible thought. And I realised that in our tradition, uh, the Pentecostal tradition, we very quickly, as we read the Gospels, move on to the question of how can I be Christ-like? Like, what am I doing to the lepers, in inverted commas, in our society? How am I treating them? But that just really made me stop and pause first about the fact that in this story, first I need to see myself as a leper. And mm. that, that Christ, like we think, oh, wow, how humble that in that environment he reached out and touched a leper. But a holy, righteous, perfect God put on flesh and came down amongst the brokenness of earth so that I could understand him. Mm so that we could collectively understand him. But ultimately, the beginning of this story, I am the leper and he has reached out, even in that act of coming to earth, there's this reaching out to touch the defiled so that we would become clean. Mm. And I just sat there and had a moment with God, just mm. overwhelmed by his goodness and his yeah. grace. And, and that, I think what's so important about not rushing to the next step is that that becomes the motivation when you are just living so thankful to God for his grace to you. Mm. Uh, so, you know, aware of the fact that if it wasn't for his humility and his grace and his compassion and his mercy, that I would still be lost and blind in my sin. That becomes a motivating factor to want to go out there and show it to others. Mm rather than any sense of obligation or I need to be Christ-like, which can become very striving in its nature. It just becomes a natural flow out of a disposition of thanks to God. Mm. And so really enjoyed that. It was probably my highlight this week. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting, isn't it, the way that we identi identify with characters in the Bible? Yes. And how we all, <laughs> like... We all love to uh, have a crack at the Pharisees right. and just think, oh man, those guys were this terrible. Here we are in a Western country where we are extremely wealthy, you know, uh, extremely influential and uh, things on a global scale, yet we refuse to identify as that actually we might be the Pharisees in right. the situation. Or, or on the flip side, um, you know, we look at the, the poor leper and we think, 
Oh, that poor leper when it's like, yeah, how can we see ourselves as the people um, that are actually in desperate need of God and, yeah. and things like that? Yeah, that's no, uh, very interesting and that's so powerful. And that, that was something that stood out to me, this, that, that switch that Jesus brought from being holy used to be to separate yourself from what was unclean or seen as sinful and things like that. And you really f- truly flipped it. Yes. And that to be holy meant you did, you went to the unclean. You went uh, to the broken. Absolutely. Um, you stepped into that and that was holiness. Um, right. It, yeah, completely flipped it. Well, I actually wrote down Al, um, just a couple of days after that when um, we see Jesus getting a hard time that he's hanging out with sinners. And I wrote this, um, living in a sinful world, we have three options. We can embrace debauchery and just go with it. We can reject sinners and embrace segregation and pity. Or we can live Jesus' way, which is personal purity and the fellowship of mercy. Mm. Mm. That's the third option. Yeah. And, and what a great thought. Personal purity, but the fellowship of mercy. And that's yeah. what Jesus was on mm. about when he's hanging out with his people. He's offering them something. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. He's, not, he's not choosing one of each extreme. He's saying... I'm going to choose to be pure, but I'm going to go to those that may, you know, not be pure or may be perceived as not pure. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That was, um, yeah, that's a really powerful element that's starting to come through in the ministry of Jesus. Um, did you have any others drastically probably, stand out? or Probably the other um, overarching theme that I think you really see in Mark, and we talked about it a bit the other day when we touched on the overall who wrote it and this sense that there's an immediacy at time. He often says, and then immediately this happened. And then, and we know that it's not even necessarily always factual in terms of timeline. So uh, please don't hear what I'm not saying there. All right. Everything in Mark happened, but Mark is one of those gospels where we know that a couple of times he will lump some various conversations together into one incidence because it's like, well, at this point and this point and this point on a chronological timeline, Jesus addressed this issue. I'm going to address that issue here in the narrative. Yeah. And um, that's just a common tool that people used in that style of writing. Yeah. And so Mark does that at a number of points. Um, it makes it no less factual. Um, it's just a, a technique and we just need to be thoughtful around that when we try. Mark wouldn't be the gospel that you're in a great hurry on its own to use as a necessary chronological timeline for the yep. for, for everything that happened. There's the overall time flow, obviously, but he pulls things from various conversations in. Um, so he, there is this sense of immediacy, but the, the thing I realised is that Jesus was always really keen to get on with, it often says like Jesus was preaching or Jesus was teaching, and then the crowds are coming, like even when he gets in the boat and comes out, like Jesus wanted to keep teaching. When the guys brought their friend to the roof, Jesus is out the front of the house teaching. It's like everyone wanted to get something off Jesus, he, and he was happy. He was compassionate. Like he, he often did miracles for people, but that seemed to be the thing everyone was coming for. And yet Jesus was constantly trying to bring it back to teaching and enlightening and, ta- and show. It's like, hey guys, I know you want the miracle. I know you want the short-term fix, and I've got that. Like I've got blessing in spades, mm-hmm. but what I actually want to give you 
is greater than that. Yeah. I, I want to begin to teach you and he's setting the, the scene and the narrative so that he can eventually reveal who he really is and, yeah. and do the work on, yeah. the, on the cross. Um, and that was something that stood out to me uh, when he actually talks about what the miracle is revealing. Yes. And that the miracle is to reveal his authority ultimately to forgive sin. Yes. And that's the story with the guys um, and the mat. And there's a few things that stood out to me in that story, but that was one of them that the miracles of Jesus are not this for the sake of a miracle. Right. They are to reveal the authority of God mm. um, over his creation and within his kingdom, uh, and that ultimately it lead us and point us to the fact that he is authoritative to the point of being able to forgive sin, heal us, and, right. and things like that. Um, but also within uh, that story of the friends lowering the, the men in the mat, it stood out to me as a, um, an actual illustration of intercessory prayer. Um, in verse 5, um, uh, Since they could not get to him, Jesus, to Jesus because of the crowds, the man made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your son, your sins are forgiven. And it really, it's a really powerful verse because he's saying because of their faith, he said to that guy, your sins are forgiven. Wow. And that for me, uh, and, it's, and it's something that I've seen before, and you start to see through the scriptures revealing the power of when we act in faith on behalf of someone else. Mm -hmm the way that God will act towards someone because of our faith. Yeah, well. Um, now, that idea has obviously been taken many different ways. And even for like the Catholic Church, you know, they very much have that sort of um, this idea of the way uh, someone else's faith can act towards someone else that maybe isn't quite to the uh, point that we come to. Um, but it definitely serves as a picture to how our faith um, impacts on other people's lives. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and you think of the faithful, you know, mums that have prayed for their kids and things like that and how we actually have the ability to move the heart of God towards someone else because of our faith. Right. Um, and, and you see it in a very tangible way here of the way these friends have taken the action of, you know, pulling through the roof and lowering their friend. Mm. Um, all being done by them yes uh, and it and it's hard to say from that what sort of faith that paralytic person what space they were in themselves sure. you know were they just getting taken along for the ride and their mates were like we're doing this whether you want it or not uh, or was he you know on board with it who knows but it was their faith yeah that caused Jesus to turn and look at him and say your sins are forgiven yeah and I think that's just a powerful uh, reminder for us why we pray hmm. um, and why we lift someone else up um, to God. So it's a great thought. Do yeah. you think there, there's? I mean, certainly when it comes to prayer, uh, I would consider myself a student of yours rather than the other way around. Um, and maybe one day we can do a whole thing where I just quiz your brain about prayer and stuff. I think that'd be good fun. Hmm. Um, but in this, I think it's really fascinating the idea as I was reading through that that yeah their faith but there was a cost to it like there was energy expense there was time there was risk 
I thought, I wonder if there's something in that when, when it comes to intercession, when we're not sitting there praying for our lives, mm. but we're actually putting the energy, the thought, the time, our desires to intercede for others, that there's a humility in that, there's a, there's a character of who God is in that, yeah. that, that grabs his attention. Mm. Um, and I've even been thinking about it at this time. I, I just think as believers at this time, you know, we should be interceding for our nation. Um, I've been really heartened by, irrespective of what political party you do or don't support or what politicians you do or don't support, the amount of Christians who are just openly praying for our leaders at this time. Mm. I think mean, that's great. Like yeah. maybe, maybe that's one of the things that can really come out of this season, that as a church we'd realise that we have an ability and a responsibility, and like you said, it, it captures God's attention and to not just pray for our families or even not just praying for our churches and what we think God wants us to do, but interceding on behalf of our nation, interceding mm. on behalf of our leaders. and um, It's a really cool thought, Al. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, it's just something that needs to become a part of our life, I think. The reality of when we're able to look beyond ourselves. Um, and it's just about trusting. That's why we do community. And if once you're within community and if we're all willing to be lifting one one another up, you don't have to panic about lifting everything (laughs) up in your life in prayer because, you know, someone else is lifting me up while I lift someone else up. Yeah, wow. um, Another another thing that stood out to me, and it sort of comes back to what we are talking about with family before, but in Mark 3.21, Jesus' family Mm. have come to get him just before all of this has happened. Right. Because they think he's crazy. Yeah. And they've come to get him, and and it's uh, there's a whole lot within that because, like Mary, she's had a lot of encounters with God. She knows there's a lot going on in mm-hmm. Jesus's life, and there's a lot on his life. Mm. Even then, um, she's in a place of doubt of going, no, no, no. I, clearly, on. whatever was in her expectations of what was going to be happening was not being met because she's looking at Jesus's life and going, uh, this is crazy. This is not what the thing was that happened to me when yes. you know, I gave birth to you and stuff. This right. is not where it was meant to be heading. Um, but um, they were there at his death. Yeah, for sure. They were there at the end. Mm. And the thing that really had me uh, feeling challenged by it was going, there are probably, like, if, if I had my family, like, really saying, Alex, you are off the mark here, mm-hmm. I would nearly 100% go, all right, I must be off the mark here. Right. Which, you know, obviously the, there's a bit of a different application for us versus Jesus. Sure. But just coming back to that reality, all right, if you're 100% sold on this is what you believe uh, God is got on your life, these are the types of moments where you have a decision to make. Yeah. And who am I going to actually hold above who? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a, it is a good thought. And I think... Um, so immediately, as you say, there's obviously wisdom in listening to family and so on. Um, but what I would suggest is even in Jesus' life, there was still a witness of others 
Okay, so John the Baptist, a, a prophet, uh, the Holy Spirit, um, his, his relationship with God. So Jesus wasn't just um, ignoring everybody. Mm. So I think that's an interesting thought. Mm. There was still spiritual witness, and we definitely, even more so than Jesus, need to take that thought into account. So there might be times where I'm, I'm certain God's put something on my life and family or others are saying no. We'd still want to be looking around for, you know, there's going to be some sort of spiritual um, leaders or you know, people in our world that are, have a witness to it. Otherwise, yeah. it might just be a season the show of it. Yeah. Um, or, or just hold it loosely and see what God does with it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's a really interesting thought. The other thing is, I, I, when I read that, I wondered whether... It's just preceding that. I don't remember the exact verse. But we see Jesus basically begins to withdraw from teaching in the synagogues and the more established, accepted. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, he's now becoming a radical. Yeah. And I wonder whether that was sort of the tipping point for his family because yeah. it's not long after that that they rock up going, hang on, Jesus. And I'm, I wonder whether Mary did have these things that she's wrestling with, but then all of a sudden her son's teaching in the synagogue and he's being recognised as someone who has a sense of authority and um, you know, incredible insight and revelation, but then he begins to cause offence and it says that the, um, it might be just after that that they send some elders down from Jerusalem to check him out. Mm-hmm. And so there's this sense that he's starting to become a rebel. He's no longer part of the establishment. He's not going to grow up and become this great minister with inside. He's not going to be the voice of God. And so that might be part of what triggered the family, I reckon. Yeah. Like it's, it's yeah. reading between the lines a bit, yeah. but that's part of what I see happening there. And they're like, hang on, too far. Um, another interesting thought, you said they were at the cross. I think Mary definitely was. Not sure that his brothers were, because Jesus asked John to look after her at the cross, mm. um, whereas it would have been the elder sibling's responsibility. Yeah. We think, most scholars think that Joseph was dead. In fact, most think he might even be dead by here because the father doesn't come to bring correction, mm. which was really important in their culture. The, the siblings and mum come to bring correction. Yeah. So maybe Joseph has already passed by this point, certainly by his death. But then what we also know is that most theologians would agree that the guy who wrote the epistle of James is actually Jesus' brother. Yeah. Um, so there's this, there's this wonderful story throughout it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really cool. Um, yeah, but it, it is um, an interesting thing to think through uh, for all of us, and we're all going to face it. This that idea of unmet expectations mm. with God. Um, <laughs> Even I was, we were, wa- we were watching a TV show at the moment and it's not a Christian TV show by any means, but it did have a couple of episodes where it tied through some threads of, because it's kind of the last man on earth. And so he often does like, and, and it sort of follows him through, he'll have different conversations with God because at different times he's been the only person left on earth. Right. And so he's there having these arguments and conversations with God. But at one point he wakes up and he's had this dream and he's convinced God's told him to, to light up. Like the, there's a, by this point, there's maybe five or six of them that found each other and they're living in this sort of hot pot community. And uh, he's woken up and he's convinced God has told him to light up um, the, this building. There's, sort of, there's a bunch of buildings around. He's convinced I've got to light it up and shine all these lights on it, make it really bright and colourful and everyone's going to love it. And it's, he's like, I don't really get it. But this is what he wants me to do. And he's thinking, oh, this is going to really get everyone excited, lift everyone's spirits because it's going to look great. And he does it and they all walk out and they're just like, is this it? Whatever. They walk off and he's standing there, he's looking at it going, what? 
I thought, I swear you told me to do this. But in a few episodes earlier, a lady had, um, she had disappeared. She had actually gone and she had hopped in the elevator of one of those buildings, but then the power went out and she'd gotten stuck in it. They'd assumed she had run off and had just moved on with their life. She's there stuck, um, not able to get out and going, why aren't they coming to look for me? So he's turned on his lights. So, but the power had gone off in that building. Right. But because he went and lit it up, he went and turned the power on to go light it up. Because he's done that, she gets. that's allowed the elevator to open up mm-hmm. and then she's able to get out. And so he's there going, I swear that was, I yes. swear he wanted to me to do that. Clearly I was off the mark there. No one cared at all. But in the background, a, it does it was a completely yeah. unrelated thing that he had no idea about that it was affecting. And I think that was just such a great picture of how our unmet expectations are they're just so limited mm. to what actually is going on and it can feel it feels just so cliche which is why it doesn't offer any reassurance to anyone when you say well we just don't know what god's doing yeah, yeah. and it's it has such a cliche feel to it but it truly is uh the reality that yes. we just have such a finite right. picture of what god's actually doing and, yeah yeah Thanks, Very good. Thank you. Great chat. We've um, had some great chats about Easter, COVID-19 fails, uh, and really grappling through some of those scriptures that are um, standing out to us, which has been awesome. So Thank you. Thanks for that, mate. Uh, if anyone has been listening to the podcast, make sure you subscribe either on Anchor or Spotify, um, and it should be able to get it up on other platforms as well soon. So... Uh, Make sure you're subscribing and listening to that each week. Or if you're watching on social media, thanks for tuning in and we'll be back soon. See ya. Bye.